0: Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast, where we're debunking some myths in the first five minutes. And this myth today is never wake a sleeping baby. Never? Well,
1: (laughs) look, if you want to sleep at night, wake a sleeping baby during the day, during the daytime hours. Yes, we don't want those naps to last too long.
0: That's right, because when they are sleeping these long stretches during the day, their nights and days are getting mixed up and they're only capable of about one long stretch a day. Yes. So we'll get those little stretches in according to the typical daily routines that we have in the back of the book. So you don't have
1: to do math and you don't have to recalculate what's happening That's every right. day.
0: And but during, during the day, we want to make sure that we're just keeping those nap times to about two hours max, give or take. Then we get them up, we feed, we do some snuggle time and it's so much fun and it just gives us some freedom and predictability. So during the day, we are waking them up by about that one and a half, two hour more.
1: Yeah, and that way they get to spend time with um, you, you spend time with loved ones. It was so funny. I was, this made me think of a call I got from a grandma one time. She called me at the office and her question was, uh, the baby's fussy, can I dip this pacifier in rum and give it to the baby? They used to do that. They and did. I was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe dip it in rum and
0: you suck on it. But no, we don't recommend giving that to the baby. So at Moms on Call, we're debunking all kinds of myths today. And you've got this.
2: Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the Moms on Call. They have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants.
0: And now they're sharing their experiences as nurses, business owners,
2: and moms with you completely unfiltered. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter.
0: Hey, boy. So, Jennifer, this week, we have the incredible privilege of talking all things grandparents and how, you know, we're, neither one of us are grandparents yet, but we are hoping that, you know, if that is part of our kids' stories, that we will be uh, grandparents uh, at some point in the future, and and just the importance of the grandparent role, um, mm-hmm. and and what that job description kind of is and looks like, and and
1: how we can facilitate it as parents. How do we
0: navigate that? Yeah,
1: there's a relationship that is built between a grandchild and a grandparent that has to be done in the oh. absence of the parent. So how can we facilitate some of that, whether the grandparent is doing things, everything, you know, everything the way we want or, you know, throwing in a bit of their own grandparent style. Right,
0: right. Like, like, does that mean I can do, you know, ice cream for breakfast? (laughs) When you're a grandparent? I hope so. (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm so excited and I can't wait. And, you know, but I do, I think that's important for grandparents to be able to sit in that grand. Let's face it. Grandparents are going to do things with their grandkids that they never, ever would have done with their own children the job description is different. That relationship is completely different. And the beauty of that is that the kids know the difference. We're always afraid Like we have
1: to detox off a grandma's house. That's what we always did. Um, My mom and my husband's mom are most spectacular. They taught me how to be a godly woman and a good mom. And um, I love them so, so much. But when they got back from, me, Nanny's house, or Granny's house. It was literally a day of detoxing them off of the craziness that would go on in and, the and,
0: But they know the difference. They know that they cannot right. get away with half the stuff or any of it. Exactly.
1: But thrilled that they did it, that they wanted to, you know, have that relationship with them, that they had that experience. It was so valuable. It was more valuable for them to have. The relationship with those grandparents. So even if the grandparents don't do it exactly your way, the value of that relationship is more. Effective. I agree, and I, I
0: did a I did a consult here. I don't know, maybe three four weeks ago with a family that um, it was going to be the first grandbaby. So I had all four grandparents. It's the first grandbaby. It was so much fun, and they were just they so want to do everything right. You know, and and they do recognize that things are different, and you know, kids are their their kids are doing things that they didn't do when they they were little with their kids, and but they recognize that, and they just wanted to make sure that they were prepared for this new job uh, that they're finding themselves in here in a in a few weeks, and I it was just the sweetest thing, and and one of the things that I told these right them right from the start was one of the best and most important things that they could do from a grandparent perspective is to listen Mm -hmm. to their kids. Mm. And yes, they may not agree with everything or anything that their kids are doing in the raising of their families, um, but it is their family and it's their kids.
1: This generation of parents... There's never been a more marketed to generation, a, a generation that had access to more information and just had to navigate so much information. So being able to be a safe place to just unravel so much of that information that's coming in, I think that's magnificent yeah, just advice. Just
0: listen. And and then the next thing was just kind of more of those practical things. Like, what can you do those first few months that this new grandbaby arise because the, both sets of grandparents are local. So I didn't have that. My kids had, we had no local grandparents. So my kids only saw their grandparents maybe once or twice a year. Um, so, but these are present. These are local. They're here. And so what are, you might know, one 800 rent a grandma would be awesome. Um, but one of the, the more practical thing I said for those first few weeks is to really help out with the home. Um, so it may be something as simple as doing some laundry or picking up some groceries or cooking a meal or two or making sure that mom has, you know, some water and snacks that are available um, those first few weeks. And and that, that was kind of more of those practical uh, items that they could do. And Um, And they were just so attentive. And again, they just wanted to do everything right. But I also gave them permission to not actually follow mom's on call. You know, (laughs) that it's okay as a grandparent to, you know, maybe do things a little bit different when those kids, especially as they're older are with the grandparents and um and because there is something so important in that distinctive relationship that only a grandparent um, can give, and I say that lightly because, you know, there are people who spoke into my kids. Even though the grandparents weren't local, there are people in mm-hmm. my community, in my circle, that kind of filled the shoes of grandparent to my kids, um, and which I thought was was just fantastic and i hope that that even us as we're a, we're in the waiting right that there are opportunities that we can do to kind of fill that grandparent role into our neighbors kids or you know the people we come in contact with which i think is so important that that we just forget
1: we really have some of the most gracious i mean even on instagram and the emails that we get The moms on call community is a gracious, gracious people. And I think there's always this incredible opportunity to have a grandparent like generosity of character. Um, It is rare and powerful, the person who is not defending themselves by speaking ill of others, but cares beyond measure for both the one who agrees with them and the one who doesn't. And I think like that is just embodies like a grandparent. Ideology to me. And I think so many of us can just, you know, pitch in for people who don't have that. We were doing a um, Bible study with some of our friends about raising your adult children. And one of the things that they mentioned in there, which I absolutely loved, was that every person should have one person in their life, at least one person who is unapologetically and completely on their side and, you know, just loves them. Unapologetically, and I just loved that. And you were talking about before some of the people that don't have a grandparent in their life or maybe have a grandparent that does things a little bit differently. Um, you you your mom you yeah, lost. Your I lost
0: mom. my mom early. So I think Kayla was maybe two years of age when when I lost my mom and and, the, and there's no other time that I missed my mom more than when I was looking into the face of my babies. Um, they are just, I mean, heart breaking. However, that's our reality. And, and I don't want to sit there, you know, I don't want to sit there in the sadness. Uh, yes. I have permission to be sad because it's sad. Right. Um, but what can, what could I do to continue to bring her memory in and celebrate her and the person that she was, same thing with my dad. I lost my dad um, 10 years ago. And, and so one of the things that I try really hard to do, and I encourage everyone who has, has lost a parent um, to do, is to, to really look at the stories, look at the character of who they were, and interweave that into the raising of your children. So it may be something mm-hmm. as simple as, I'm doing my Rue, That you know takes me two or three hours to do, and as I'm stirring my roux for my gumbo, I'm sharing the story of how my mom would cook her gumbo, but she wouldn't keep it for us. She was going and giving it to everybody else in the neighborhood. Um, She was known for feeding the people in our in our neighborhood, and um, so those stories just kind of keeps that memory alive, but also gives her children. Um, kind of that wisdom of knowing those things were had. You know, I talked about my dad, and you know, one of the things my dad has always said was, "You always leave a place better than you found it." And if you ask any of my kids what was Papa John's number one thing, and they'll all tell you, "Leave a place better than you found it, mom." You know. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah. so yes, it's sad. And yes, it's hard. It is hard. And it's okay for us to miss our parents, but we can continue to keep them uh, alive and continue to create those seeds of of goodness and kindness uh, into our kids. But I would also say, you know, be that, be person. that person because, you know, There may be some of us who absolutely had no role models, had no grandparents, and didn't have a mom and dad that was connected and present, and maybe they didn't know their moms and dads to be able to build those stories. So in that case, I would look to the people around us. You know, I can think of kids, even though, you know, the grandparents weren't local in in our area, there were people in my community that stepped in and filled filled those shoes and spoke into my kids and walked and built relationship with my kids. And I would encourage people who may not have had that example, or maybe they don't have the good stories to hand down, to kind of look around next to you because those people are there. There are people that can fill that role and, uh, and speak in and build those relationships with your kids, and like Jennifer said, be that person. Well, not only
1: that, I really think it's important to recognize that kids are okay anyways. So whether you have that voice that can speak in directly, whether you have that babysitter that does everything exactly like you would hope, or does a mom's on call consult <laughs> you know, ahead of time, um, whether you have that or not, your kids will still be okay. They will have the things that they require. So, you know, we'll say that often is your kids are strong, adaptable, and resilient. And so are you. So no matter what kind of voices, we'd love for you to join in on the Moms on Call community because those voices are always so encouraging. um, And that's what we hope to be for you. And
0: if you're a grandparent out there listening to us, we can't wait to be grandparents either. Um, but join in and support your your family uh, and the kids and build those relationships. It really does sound like a pretty cool job. We have taken questions for years, and we love taking yours. So give us a call at
1: 888-234-7979.
2: Hi, my name is Everwell. I have a... An 18-month-old daughter. I've loved the Mom on call method. It saved us. It had her sleeping through the night at 10 weeks. And now we're trying to figure out how to get our super picky toddler how to eat. So uh, I would love any recommendations you guys have for a toddler who just doesn't like to try new foods and is quick to say no and throw food on the ground. Thanks again. Love you guys. And I'm really excited for the podcast. Bye.
1: Thank you for your excitement. And yes, at 18 months, we most definitely are exploring food. So we're in full exploration stage. And so they do, they want to see like what sound it makes when it hits the floor and um, <clears throat> how it'll mush in between their little hands. Uh, so what they're doing is really exploring the whole experience of food that we think that we already know. And there are some great guidelines to help all kinds of different kids to be able to feed better. But the basic, I'm going to give you the you know big picture at Moms on Call, it's your job to provide the food. It's their job to eat it. So a lot of the tension is because we want to take their job. And so as long as you're providing this food on a regular basis, they don't starve. They're going to find what they want to eat. They'll get it in there. Um, and then we have a lot more specific guidelines. So if you go over to the Toddler by Design app, And hop on there, take the quiz. And oftentimes what we find is that one of the ways that they're designed is actually dictating some of this behavior. And we give you little tips in there for feeding, for sleeping, for potty training, and for tantrums for kids who have these different motivators, Um, you know, those kids that love touch. They're really going to be exploring that food. They want to know what it feels like. They want to know about the different textures, and they may seem to be a little bit more sensitive to some of the different textures as they explore it. And the key is that it keeps showing up. The same thing may show up three or four times. We don't want to just automatically go, oh, no, they don't like it.
0: You mean we can't just give them mac and cheese and chicken nuggets every single day forever? You could
1: actually, toddlers have this incredible ability to survive on chicken nuggets for like weeks at a time. So yeah, you could do it for a while. um, But you know, we want all kinds of different varieties of stuff. Now, Laura is one of the best cooks. And so here's another little tip, Laura, let's talk about how you grill those vegetables that are so delicious and putting some spices on. You
0: know, a lot of times these kids just need, like Jennifer said, they just need to see it over and over and over and over again. And they may touch it. They may drop it. They may throw it. They we'll <laughs> definitely throw it. Maybe, <laughs> that's right. And maybe on that 20th time, They take a bite of it or they see how interested, you know, you are in eating that food. And you're talking about how great it tasted. Oh, my gosh, these are the best green beans ever. And the other thing is just making sure that the food tastes good. If the food doesn't taste good, then a lot of times they don't want it. So one way that we've always said is give them one thing, you know, they'll eat. Give them one thing that you're kind of 50 percent sure they'll eat. And then give them one thing that maybe they've never seen before and have fun. Keep it stress free. Won't <laughs> be one more bite, one more bite, one more bite. Your job's to provide the food, it's their job to eat it or not. <laughs> right.
2: And that's okay too. Hi, my name is Kim. I'm from Brookhaven, Georgia, expecting a little girl in August and was wondering. Is it safe to travel to the Bahamas at three months after they get the two-month vaccine? And if so, do you have any travel advice? Thanks so much.
1: I think our travel advice is you need to take the moms on call with you to the Bahamas. No, I'm,
0: I'm signed up. We'll back in our bags. Yep, <laughs> we're done. We are on that flight. Yes, it is perfectly safe to do, mainly because you're keeping them close by. We're not letting people put their hands all over them. Um, They've got that first set of shots, you know, four weeks after that it should be perfectly fine. But I do recommend when you're traveling to kind of keep a cover over that car seat or wear them so that they're kind of close and cocooned in. You want to keep them, you want to feed during takeoff and during landing and then make sure you bring sheets that are washed at your house. Make sure that they have their own safe sleeping environment. So whether or not it's a crib uh, that's there or your own pack and play. Uh, we love the slumber pod. I'm bitter that we didn't have that when our kids were little. right? I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> but you do. So you can have one and most definitely take that with you. It's as like a little tin. It just gives them their own in- in little sleep environment so no matter what kind of Delicious, fantastic hut that I imagine maybe in the Bahamas where um, you'll have a really great environment where they can sleep that has all of those great associations Moms on Call talks about. Like, um, you know, the white noise can go in there. You've got, um, you know, the light just right. Sometimes the temperature, you know, some of the breezes there will be perfect. Um, and it'll just kind of help you get that environment that uh, they're accustomed to at home.
0: And remember, you don't have to, you know, while you're at the Bahamas, you may be out late or you may be on a completely different, you know, routine throughout the day. And that is okay. Try to hit your sea times when possible. And when possible, try to pick up with that evening routine um, while you're there. So, and enjoy. Have fun. Relax. It's okay. Anything that kind of falls off the tracks, so to speak, can be put back on the tracks when you guys get back stateside. Um, But have fun and enjoy it.
1: And when Laura talks about those C times, what she means are the crazy day guidelines that we put in both the app and the book. You'll see the little letter C next to some of those times. And that's on those crazy days. If we can just hit a few things that will help us keep on track, then, you know, those are kind of the big ticket items. So have a great time. And tell us where to meet you at the airport
2: hi my name is adria i am in louisville kentucky my question is about my um newly nine week old who was born four weeks early we are following your book which we love um ever since two weeks of age he sleeps in a snoo and um, is swallowed every night in that and that seems to be doing well I'm just not ever able to keep him alert and awake long enough for the recommended ounces of breast milk or formula that he is to have. He's a really snoozy little guy. He eagerly eats and um, will both breastfeeding and bottles and is very eager to do so, but just is not able to stay awake and actually take in the full amount that is recommended. For example, right now, it's five to seven ounces per feeding. I'm just not sure really what's best to get him on track is what you recommend. I also have a 10-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. So <laughs> the day is also has to include time to them as well. So anyway, I really appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much. And I'm excited for the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much for calling in. I love the term snoozy guy. All right. So what are we going to do here with this little snoozy guy? You know, Laura and I both brought home a set of twins, um, preemies. So mine were four pounds and some change a piece. And uh, we put together a really great resource, um, a preemie adjustment uh, guide so that you can find that over in the Knowledge Center. And um, that'll help you to know how to navigate the moms on call schedules for those
0: snoozy guys that were born a little on the early side. We always like to leave you with the good stuff. And we always tell you that your kids are strong adaptable and resilient and so are you. And today, we're talking about all of our postal workers. <laughs> if there's any resilient group of people that I can
1: think about, it is most definitely all of the people, UPS, FedEx, our post lady who we knew for years. They are amazing and they have had to
0: do 10 times more. The logistics of that, I can't even imagine. And in a little town in Pennsylvania, there was one UPS driver and Everybody knew his name. And so the town got together and raised over $1,000 for Mr. Chad Turns to thank him for working so hard last year. He was brought to tears. But I love that because it's so unexpected. Like you just do the
1: right thing every day for so long, day in, day out, whether anybody notices you or not. And then at some point, like this moment comes and it just thrills you to know that somebody was paying attention. And so moms and dads and caretakers out there, when you're in the middle of all of that. It just takes the day to day of doing the right thing over and over and over again. One day, I hope that somebody is going to come to you, your kids or otherwise, and thank you in such a surprising way make it all worth it, and let you know that you were seen.
2: Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. Please visit momsoncall.com
0: for more resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive this amazing parenting journey.